0: And his faith that had gone astray when he was locked in prison. And as I started studying it, I feel like the Lord is going to use this, and I feel like um, that He has given me this for a reason. But we're going to be in Matthew 11, Matthew 11, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. <laughs> and if you can stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. So it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, referring to John's disciples, not God's, and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? That's John the Baptist saying that. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shew John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, so the disciples of John departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written... Behold, I send my messengers before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. And lastly, in verse 11, we see, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, And notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Dear Lord God, we come to you, and I just pray, Father, that you would help your word to be um, proclaimed. and. Father, that I wouldn't be speaking, but that you would be speaking through me. Father, God, I pray that um, you know the hearts, you know what everyone needs tonight, God, because every child of yours needs a nurturing, nurturing, and um, God, of just your word and, and communication from you, God. And I just pray that, um, God, that I wouldn't be talking to them that God. They don't need me, they need you. I pray that you would calm my nerves, God, and that you would have the Holy Spirit in this room. And we love you, and we pray this on your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled this message, Should We Look for Another? And that's exactly what John the Baptist was asking his disciples to tell the others. Um, And the idea of this message is when it seems as though all is lost, Jesus Christ is still at work and his mission is being fulfilled. So I was looking up because I wanted to have a funny illustration because why not? Um, I looked up some kids being confused, and these are some of the kids. It says, my parents own a business, and I overheard them discussing firing one of their employees. I was mortified that my parents would set someone on fire just because they weren't the best worker. My kid asked how childproof caps know whether it's a child or an adult's hand that's trying to open it. When I was a kid, I bawled my eyes out watching my parents' wedding video because they didn't invite me to their wedding. As a child, I thought the deer crossing sides on the interstate meant that the deer would cross at exactly that location. I thought it was nice that the people put up signs telling the deer where to cross in the street. My dad was a police officer and I knew he came home every night and I always thought how silly the criminals were. Why they didn't just wait for my dad to come home to commit their crimes? That way they didn't get caught. When I was little, I thought people who died in movies really died in movies. I thought the makers of the movie just found a bunch of committed people who were ready to end it all and be killed for a film. When the TV went to the commercials and they said, don't go anywhere, we'll be right back, I would sit still until the show came back because I thought they could see me and I didn't want them to get mad at me. So you see how some kids are confused about some, some situations and some things of life. And, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I'm just a kid in a grown-up's body, and I think that's true because I think if we had free ice cream in the front, I think everyone would get some, you know, or some coffee or, or an ice cream truck went by. I think you guys would all be waving them down. You know, I would. Um, maybe that just means I'm a little immature. I don't know. <laughs> but we see a man named John the Baptist, who is confused, disappointed, and he's struggling with his faith because what he had assumed to be true wasn't exactly the way God had it be. And I believe that God desires to give every Christian peace in the times of chaos. When nothing seems to be going the way you anticipated, to give us assurance, no matter how dark your valley may be, still at work. The question today that I want to ask you is if you might be running out of faith, if maybe there might be someone in this room that might be a John the Baptist, might be going through something and they're confused. Do you have a situation or circumstance in your life where you feel as though God has abandoned you? Are you finding it difficult trusting in the unseen? while your troubles are clearly seen. Tonight, I want to show you guys some encouraging steps that Jesus urges us to take when we are in these predicaments, just as John the Baptist was. So before we can really understand where John the Baptist was and what he went through, I think it's important that we know who he is. So John the Baptist, he was a messenger of God. He lived in the wilderness, and he ate locusts and honey. And locusts was like grasshoppers. So those are like those like YouTube videos of those people that you see. Just put the bug in their mouth, and you're like, how in the world did they do that? I mean, that's what John the Baptist was. Um, and his job, his whole life, from very, very beginning, newborn, was to prepare the way for Jesus. It was to get hearts ready for the Messiah to come. It says in Matthew 3, 1 through 3, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord make his paths straight so when John the Baptist was getting older he started to preach and to baptize other people and this made others around them. Uh, you know how some people just can follow the crowd. They can get in their own mind and trying to resolve an issue or something that they're trying to see at. Um, so these people, they saw him doing these uh, these baptisms and preaching with the Holy Spirit. And they began to believe that he was the Messiah himself. And that's where you get um, when he was in jail, his disciples went to Jesus. So... People, even though John told them clearly, look, I'm not the Messiah, they still wanted to follow them. There's not too much in Scripture that tells us why. Um, it could be that Jesus just didn't call them, and they called them to be followers of John instead. It could just be that they didn't have enough faith. Um, but whatever the case may be, John knew who Jesus was. It says in John 1.27, He it is who's coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it, I am not worthy to unloose. So we see that his calling from God, but and then we see that he saw the power of God. See, one day he was baptizing and he was by the sea and Jesus came up to him and said, hey, I need to be baptized. And John said, whoa, look, I can't baptize you. You're way holier than me. Well, it says in Matthew three thirteen through 17, I know there's a lot of different verses in different books, but... I just want you guys to get familiar. You don't have to turn there. It says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So John the Baptist, I mean, I, if I was there, I would, it would be awesome to just see uh, Jesus being baptized and then you see the heavens open up and a dove ascending, ascending and then you see God just say, Behold, I mean, the, the power in his voice and just the incredibleness of just how beautiful that must have been. I mean, you see a sunrise or a sunset here, and it's like, oh man, that's nice, but could you imagine the heavens being opened up? What kind of sight that was. So John saw the power of God, but what's interesting, and while I was looking it up, he never performed a single miracle in his life. So he was someone who paved the way, but yet he himself, it's little to no Recordings of him ever doing a miracle. So before Jesus came, not only did John the Baptist not do any miracle, but for almost 800 years, there had been dead silence, no miracles by any prophets in Israel. So this was a time when there was a lot of silence and there was a lot of people, kind of like the world that, and the situation that we're in right now, where we walk outside and, you know, God, They can't see the miracles 100% of God, so they believe in a lie. But John the Baptist was staying strong in it all. And before John was even born, he knew when Jesus was near. It says in Luke one forty one, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So... John the Baptist, as we said before, was paving the way for others, for Christ and his kingdom to come. He had surrendered his, his entire life to God. You can tell that by some of the scriptures of how like he was in the wilderness for much of his life. You know, God says in the Bible, Jesus, when he's talking about following him, it's hard. You don't have a place to stay. Your, your head is on a rock of pillows. Um, and he was in the wilderness, but he sacrificed it for God. And just like Pastor was saying the other day about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, one other sat, he stood. So you see this man, he's, he's, a, he's an awesome prophet, and he hasn't had any miracles, but yet his faith is being strong while others are sitting down and just doing their own thing. Um, but we also see that when um, later down the road, he baptizes Jesus, and Jesus starts beginning be his miracles. And, you know, John's still doing his thing, preaching what God commanded him to do. And there is a king named Herod, and Herod wanted to marry someone who was not okay to marry. And John was not telling him, hey, you know, she's not the prettiest to look upon. She's not. She doesn't have a good personality, stuff that maybe the culture today might say. John the Baptist was saying you can't do it because it wasn't lawful. And King, the King Herod, he got really mad. And it says in the Bible that he wanted to put him to death, but he didn't because the people, some of them believed him to be a prophet. So you can imagine him in jail being in some pretty rough conditions. It says in Matthew fourteen three, and this is him going to jail, for Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So it was an unlawful marriage of two people. For John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. So this made this king wrath, livid. So he got really mad and he sends John the Baptist into jail. And I was looking it up historically uh, on the culture. He was in about 1 AD. So the Roman Empire and the The jail sales in the jail back then was very unpleasant, and it was not the best conditions at all. And it was funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's crazy. Uh, A lot of the Christians back in the day would actually get some of the worst punishments and some of the worst decisions and sentences on them because it was up to the ruler or the king to decide the judgment or the penalty or the, the, the problem. So you can imagine someone who's been so wroth that his punishment was almost death, but he feared the people. I mean, what kind of, what kind of conditions John was in? You kind of think about um, just the worst of it all. And not only that, but they were also the brutalest for the poorest in the land. So a lot of the times, the wealthiest citizens, even though they would commit an actual crime, they would just get put on house arrest where they couldn't leave their, their place or where they were staying. Uh, but for the poor, I mean, they were completely dependent on Rome. So they really put a lot of uh, boundaries and, and hurt in their life. Uh, these places were dark and they were lonely. Some, some prisons were even thrown in subterranean pits nearly devoid of all light which makes modern-day prisons and jailhouses today look like a lottery ticket or something that they would absolutely love to go. So we see one who is called by God to preach and to tell others about him stuck in jail. He was in that holding cell. It's set online for about 12 to 18 months in terrible condition. Um, I mean, it was a difficult time for John. I mean, you think about it. this, This man was living his entire life devoted to prepare the way for Jesus and to preach about Jesus. And right when Jesus comes into the scene, he gets locked up. Doesn't see any of his miracles. So he's in a holding cell when he was praying and trying to reach others to him. And he can't even see Jesus when others can so it was a moment of confusion for john the baptist you know it it's not as bad at all but this morning my uh my girlfriend carly so she bought me a five dollar starbucks gift card super excited about it because i love coffee and i was like she texted me she's like you're gonna do great today and just wanted to make sure and give you a good start she's the best um but so i got it and i'm starting to do my church duties and I'm watering the grass, and I put down the, the coffee right here, and I start watering the grass, and the sprinklers are going, and I look down, and I'm like, what's that brown stuff? And my full cup of coffee is all over the floor. You know, it was, it was a confusing time, and, you know, Satan will put in your head, you know, why did God let you drop your coffee? You <laughs> really wanted that coffee. You tasted it. It was good coffee. You know, coffee lovers understand how bad that, that is when you lose your coffee. So John the Baptist faced disappointment. He was in prison. He faced danger. Herod and Herodias, I mean, they wanted to put him to death. He faced doubt. He asked, people asked him. I mean, he asked others if if we look for another. I mean, he even faced death. A commentary by Warren Wearsby stated that he was a man of the desert, yet he was confined indoors. He was an active man with a divine mandate to preach, yet he was silenced. He had announced judgment, and yet that judgment was slow in coming. He received only partial reports of Jesus' ministry and couldn't even see the total picture. So I wonder tonight, If any of us may have gone through or maybe even going through right now with difficulty like John the Baptist, you're listening to God, you're following God, you're doing everything right. You know, everyone's looking at you and saying, Man, you're really, you're really putting up a good fight, you're really you're being a good Christian, you're being an example. But yet you're stuck in a prison of heartache, of confusion waiting for Jesus to answer. That which you believe to be held on to has now been broken into, well, one has now been broken into two. You are going through something in your life that is confusing you, and you seem to begin losing faith in the almighty, wonderful, creator God. God says in 2 Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we look at this story and we know in God's word that this is inspired and God put this in here for a reason. And although this was John the Baptist situation, I believe that a lot of us have gone through these situations and might even be in them. And I believe that um, there very well could be or have been some John the Baptist here who have been in a difficult time and, and really need um, to understand and, and have God talk to them. And I believe the answer that Jesus gave John the Baptist is the answer that he wants to give us tonight. So what was Jesus' response? The first thing that we see is John the Baptist When he asked this, Jesus didn't respond with a uh, anger, um, belittling comments. He responded with sensitivity and tenderness. This was a man who was supposed to have it all together. But yet, it is a time in his life where even he is weakened by the pressures of life. You know, I bet he was thinking, I mean, you put him in his, you put John the Baptist in your shoes, you know, after telling his disciples to go ask Jesus. I wonder if he was thinking, would, would God respond to me in anger? Would God respond in rebuke for not trusting in him? John began to fail Jesus without faith. I mean, we read the, the scriptures of the, of the Bible, you know, without faith it is impossible to please him. You know, he that goeth to God must believe that he is. So, putting ourselves in John's shoes, maybe he felt ashamed, coming clean that he was confused and needing Jesus' help. Someone quoted, What is it, Doc? What do I have? What's wrong with me? It's a question we all ask ourselves from time to time. When we blow up at our kids, or a coworker again we ask what's wrong with me when we come home from the store with something else that we don't need and can't afford we ask what's wrong with me when we wolf down the donut in the break room when no one is looking we still say what's wrong with me when we fantasize about intimacies with a stranger or a colleague we ask what's wrong with us When hearing about someone else's vacation or promotion makes us mad instead of happy. When we realize we've wasted another evening channel surfing, not doing anything productive. When we're driving home from a birthday party or just any party and realize we spent the whole evening talking about ourselves. We ask, what's wrong with me? In moments like these, we realize something's not right internally something that keeps robbing us of joy and wrecking havoc in our relationships and ruining our witness as followers of Christ. We're stuck on the inside, and we're not our best selves. We're not functioning at full capacity, and we're not getting better. We ask ourselves, what's wrong with us? You know, what's wrong with us is that we're sinful, and it's not a pleasant or popular diagnosis. I don't think you'd get that at a psychologist. You know, they're not going to tell you that you're sinful, um, but it's truth. And John the Baptist, no doubt, struggled with his faith at this time. I mean, it's recorded. We see it. And so I wonder if um, he may have asked, what's wrong with me? Maybe for his day in and day out and day in and day out for years and years. Well, not years, but for days, he sat down all by himself in a uh, locked holding cell uh, with probably feces everywhere and you know did I do something wrong what's wrong with me and I wonder what might be in our lives tonight that you might be struggling that maybe you won't tell anyone about or maybe you've talked to people about it but you just can't get a grip on it and you wonder and you ask yourself what's wrong with me and what's funny and I say that rhetorically and joke that failure can have a tendency to make you almost feel unusable to God. It can make you feel unloved for and cared for by God. It can completely destroy your relationship with Him. So I was watching um, this this, uh, story. It's It's not real, of course, but it had a good illustration. So there's two doors. There's one on the right, and this is the sin... Um, that he was struggling with, so if you can just put whatever sin that you may be struggling with the most on the right, and then there 's a door on the left, and that is God. This man wakes up, you know he might already be uh, down, he already might be in a perfect time to fall into temptation or or troubles or heartache, and he opens the sin and he stays in there for a little bit he walks out and the guilt and the heartache and the pain that you feel when you do something like that God convicts his children he walks over to the door of God and he knocks on it and he hears God say come on in so he wakes up again and you know goes throughout his life and whatever another situation comes and he goes to the right door instead opens it up pulls back realizes that sinned against, and feels even worse about it. This time, he walks over the door a little bit more ashamed, more head down, more more troubles, knocks on the door. God says, come in. Time and time and time, he walks through the same door, has the same sin, has the same struggles, and walks over here, knocks on the door, and God says, come in. One day, he walks over to the door. And he, he does what his sin always does and what every man and woman have a tendency. We have a failed flesh. And he walks back. And this time he hears a noise from the side of someone saying that God doesn't care. That it's completely useless. You've gone too far in your sin. He doesn't love you. You're useless. And that discouraged him, so... Instead of going to the door, he walked and did his own thing. And that made him feel even more low. And instead of clinging to God, he clinged on more to his sin. And he walked over here. And then for years and years of his life, his life is being defined. And his foundation is being brought to pieces because he's going to the wrong source. And so one day, you know, a lot of the times, you know, Satan likes to tell this to all of us. And when we're in that kind of predicament, a lot of the times God's the one that has to talk to you. And you are no longer wanting to talk to him because you feel too ashamed. So he walks over and he's walking. He's doing his own thing. And I mean, you can just tell this guy's not content. And he hears a voice coming from the door that says, Come on in. And he walks over and he says, Are you sure? Are you serious? Because all this time he was believing a lie. He walks in and God tells him he loves him and that he wants to help him. And you know, failures and sin in our life can make you have the tendency, like I said, to make you feel unusable. We look at the story of the prodigal son. So his father was saving him a whole bunch of loot and a whole bunch of goodies for when he gets older. Uh, For him to provide for his family, for him to live a good life. So, one morning, you know, they probably worked hard. They were farmers, and you know, God wants you to work. And they were a family that loved God, so they had their morals correct. So he woke up and he says, "I don't want to do this anymore." And he grabs his his bag of can that to change, and he says, "I'm out of here." And his brother looks at him and goes, "What are you doing?" You know, the dad is like, are you sure you want to do this, son? And he leaves, he walks out, and, you know, it says in the Bible that he, you know, if you have money, you're probably going to have a lot of friends um, because the love of money is the root of all evil. And, you know, I, I, and my flesh would definitely want to be friends with Bill Gates. You know, that's just, it's just what our flesh wants to do. Um, but he goes out, and he's living his best life or what he seems to until he's in the miry in the clay and he realizes that he's gone way too far. But what he says, he doesn't say that, oh, he'll forgive me. He'll, he'll give me a place where, right where I was. It says in Luke fifteen seventeen twenty. it says that when he came to himself, when he thought about what he, where he was, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto them, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one as I hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So this man was in deep, miry and and He said, You know what? Those servants that get treated real bad have it better than me. I'm going to go back and I'm just going to ask if I can be one of his slaves. If I could be that person that picks up the poop and that does all the work that no one wants to do. And maybe I'll just have some food. But his father went to him with open arms. And Satan will take your failures and sin and convince you that you are no longer wanted or needed by God. And as the tendency it would cause you to look back at your life and not experience the joy and the peace and almost like wasted years i had one pastor um tell me <clears throat> he was telling the whole the whole like chapel uh, for our school and he said you know when you're when you're driving if you can picture the rear of your mirror in your car being sin he said while you're driving straight he said, if you keep looking at that rearview mirror and you keep looking at all your failures, you'll never be able to go in the, one, in the direction that God wants you to do. But you got Satan who's keep telling you, look at the rearview mirror. Look at all you've done. And, I mean, can you imagine how many turns you'd miss if you went home tonight only looking at your rearview mirror? You would never get where God wanted you to go. You would never get home. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Lamentations 3.22-23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. For they new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. The Lord also, in Psalms it 9, 9, says, The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And so many times, we either never seek God because of regret or feeling ashamed. And that right there will make us even further away from him. But we see just in Psalms 9.9.10, it says that the Lord has not forsaken them that seek thee. And Jesus will never cast away his children, but will accept those with open arms. And we see John the Baptist was struggling with faith. He was alone, and he was confused. And he requested an answer to Jesus, but his response was tender and loving. And God welcomes us in for the moments in our lives when we feel as though we do not have it all together. So this is for maybe those leaderships, you know, positions or the leaders of the family. You know, It's okay to not have it all together in front of God. John the Baptist was an incredible prophet of God, and yet he didn't have it all together. And God welcomed him, and he will welcome you. But it didn't change Jesus' perspective on John. When those followers of John left... Jesus begins telling the crowd that there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. If you look at verse 11 with me, it says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So his doubt didn't alter what Jesus thought of John. Your doubt doesn't alter what Jesus thinks about you. So the first thing we see is Jesus responds in loving and tenderness. And lastly, we see that Jesus assured John that in the moment of his difficulty, he was still fulfilling God's will, what he wanted and what he needed to do. And what's cool, and it's crazy, as I was studying it, in Isaiah 35, 3-6, we actually see the same kind of response that Jesus gave to John's disciples there. It says in Isaiah 35, 3-6, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God will, with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man walk or leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. We look in Matthew 11 and Jesus' response, and it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go, shew John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Sounds familiar, right? So John understood what it meant. I mean, he was a prophet, so he had to study the law. He had to study God's word when, of what they had. So it's, it, it's cool to know that well Jesus reassured John in the weakest of his moments who he was and what he was doing. John already knew. So John was in a cell during Jesus' ministry and was not able to see what Jesus was doing while he was in there. But God was still at work, and his mission was still being achieved. And I believe that John might have had a couple of reasons for his questioning. I wonder if he thought when he was sitting there in jail and in a really terrible situation, if he was wondering why Jesus wasn't letting him out of the situation he was in. Or I wonder if, you know, he asked if truly God was building the kingdom that he had for him. You know, like John the Baptist, there are circumstances and situations that we just don't understand. It will cause us to doubt and even question Jesus. There will be times that Jesus told the disciples, there were times that Jesus told the disciples, you don't understand this now, but you will later. It says in John 13, 7, Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Now, I mean, we can all agree in all of our lives that we've had situations where we feel like we just did not understand. And maybe we still don't really understand why those situations happen. Um, you know, we might think, you know, I've been, I've been praying for this and it's going unanswered. There's troubles and worrisome times in my life and yet nothing seems to be resolved. Maybe you dropped your coffee when you were thinking about the troubles and worrisome in your life and even more came to you and it hurt you. Health issues that maybe never seem to be resolved. You might hear and see those who don't even have faith and they might and they they're getting what seems to be miracles in their life, and you're wondering where God is. There's times when Satan might be tempting on where you fail, and when Satan strikes, we plead to to have God give us an answer, but we find none. And financial distress when the bills begin to rise, but the money begins to fall. So that is what you call kind of like the problem of evil. The things in life that are really just not good and what Christians have to trust God for. And there's some reasonings, but a lot of people will go away in a stray, uh when they look at God and, and they say, well, why did this happen? I'm almost done. I'm just going to say a quick story. But uh, I had a, a girl from Zales and um, I work in Oklahoma in the jewelry consultant department. So I tell people why they should buy a $12,000 diamond ring. So I'm there, and a lot of people, I mean, they don't really want to get a diamond ring every day. So there's some time off where there's not a lot of people to come in. So it's able to give me some opportunities to be able to talk with them. And I was talking with one, and she had a situation in her life where her little daughter had her intimate, like her complete life changed, and she was um, in a situation to where her vulnerability and um, her life was taken from her in the way of someone sexually abusing her. And not to mention that, but there was video recording of the accident. So a mom was able to to see her daughter being hurt. So she looked at me with pain in her eyes. She said, that's why I'll never go to Jesus, is because that's what happened. And he didn't help me. And there's a lot of different things for why that might have happened. You know, God, there's a problem. There's an evil in this world. You can't blame the dealership. If you get in an accident after the dealer, you drive off the lot. There's reasonings. God says in the Bible that all things work to good for them who are called according to their purpose. But what stinks is Satan deceived her and made her in that predicament, almost like this guy go to the left, And um, she was broken. She was in despair and hurt when she was talking to me about this. And it wasn't about the situation. She she kind of got over that, but it was with her whole life. Just how she reacted and decided to choose how she was going to live her life after that and try to find contentment elsewhere. And she was searching. She had no contentment. Uh, I don't know what the name is. You know, there's so many nowadays. But so she was married with her husband, but... She had a rule where she could, um, her and her husband can go have other relationships outside of the, what God said and what God has called for. She had piercings all over. And this isn't for judgment's sake, this is just for seeing that she's looking for something. And Satan had deceived her. And Isaiah 55, 8 through 10, it talks about how Jesus and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither are his ways, our ways. You Look at the story of Job and when he was hurting and he was in pain, what God did for him. He didn't tell him why the situation was happening. He just told him, look who I am. Who made the ways to go back and forth? Who tells the son to go up? Who tells the son to go down? I'm not entirely sure what might be going on in your life. What you may be questioning. What you were struggling with. If your faith has been depleted to the max, if it's making you almost feel like John the Baptist and questioning, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is what I'm believing in, what I'm having faith in, really what it is? Whatever the case may be, I believe with all my heart that God wants to tell you today that even when we fall short, He is there with open arms. In the times of uncertainty and despair, Jesus is still on the throne and at work. And he's at work in your life. And he's at work for making that kingdom so we can enjoy for all of eternity. This life is just a flashing little glimpse. And if we don't understand some of the things, we know we still have a holy God that loves us, that cares, and has done everything for for good and purpose. So, when life comes throwing curveballs and you don't understand just like John the Baptist remember that God is still at work in your life and when you have questions know that you can go to him and he'll answer with a loving and tenderness and he's not going to rebuke us and he's not going to take us away but dear Lord God thank you for this day Uh, thank you for this message Father God I pray that you would just